I'm going to pick up with verse number 16. Verse number 16. And for the sake of, <clears throat> and that is, the, that is the theme, Jesus, the light of the world. And, uh, and they didn't see him, though, as the light of the world. The first point that you're going to see on your, on your PowerPoint, gentlemen, is they saw Jesus as the carpenter of Nazareth, but, but they, they didn't stop to think that he was different from any other man that ever lived. You know, if you understand how that this is all tying together, it's, it's kind of hard to keep it all in place because it takes longer for us to teach and go through this. By the way, Bob and Dolly, it's great to see you guys. I'm sorry, I complete, I'm standing up here and I was oblivious to the front rows here. And uh, who's with you tonight? All right, God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. And you're down here for some special reason. Huh? Oh, in Missouri. Okay, yeah, yeah, amen, amen. So good to see you again. Praise the Lord. Where was I? Oh, <laughs> um, when you think about even the, the amount of information that we've covered, just coming up to the eighth chapter, um, we, we've covered, you know, all these miracles that started with, remember, the, the porches at the, at the pool of Bethesda and the, and, the, and the crippled man that Jesus healed. That, that got all the Pharisees all steamed up because he did that on, on, a, on a particular day. What was that? Yeah, he did that on the Sabbath day, didn't he? Uh, and and uh, so the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the scribes and everybody were, they were just absolutely livid over that whole thing. But you remember that even before that, that um, there were thousands that were fed, remember? And so I guess the point being, the Lord has done these notable miracles. You'd have to be dumber than a box of rocks not to, not to realize, wait a minute, we're dealing with more than just a carpenter from Nazareth. I mean... Whoever saw this ever happen? I never saw Bob feed 5,000, but here Jesus did. In fact, it was more than 5,000, really. It was just 5,000 men that were counted, not the women and children. But, you know, uh, uh, they, they didn't think he was any different than any man. Let me tell you something about human nature. You already know this. But, you know, people can get so, so stubborn and bullheaded about something that, that even if you convince them that they were wrong, they're still going to stay on the wrong hand. They're still going to stay on the wrong side, because they're just obstinate enough to do that. You know, we're our, sometimes we're our own worst enemy, aren't we? In in the Pharisees' particular case, uh, they were they were indeed their their you know they were their own worst enemy. So, the purpose of Jesus coming into the world was not to judge people. And that's, that's kind of the thought that, that also was taking place here. Um, he didn't come to judge. 
you know, he was doing these things to be a blessing, but at the same time, you know, they were, they were, you know, they were trying to trap him and all these kinds of things, and, and, uh, and, you know, they said, well, he's trying to, he's trying to promote himself, he's trying to, uh, you know, you couldn't in, in that day and time, and even this day and time, it should be that way too, you couldn't declare something unless you had two witnesses. Well, of course Jesus had two witnesses. He had the witness of himself as God the Son, and he had the witness of God the Father. Uh, if you wanted to add one more there, be God the Holy Spirit. So, you know, all these things, they were trying to trap him and thinking that all the while that somehow he was, uh, he was going to judge them, and he, he wasn't, he, that wasn't his purpose for coming. You see that verse back there. That was the purpose for coming. And the verses that are around that verse tell us the purpose for coming. And, and it wasn't that he would judge the people. He will judge the people. I mean, make no, make no bones about it. Jesus Christ, when he comes again, he isn't coming as the suffering Savior. We're going to go up in the rapture, and seven years by earthly time later, we're going to come back with the Lord, and that is the actual second coming to the earth. And the Lord is going to wipe out Armageddon. The, va the valley of Megiddo is going to be filled with blood up to the bridle of a horse. And, uh, and I'll tell you something. He's going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. We who were faithful to serve him now on this side are going to rule and reign with him then. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And he's going to be ruling for a thousand years. That's the millennial reign of Christ. Satan will be, he will then be in the bottomless pit. Uh, he's chained up and he's thrown into the bottomless pit. And, uh, and he isn't going to be bothering anybody for a thousand years. Now think of that. America, America isn't even 250 years old yet. And Jesus is going to be reigning for a thousand years. Think of that. And uh, it's going to be an exciting time. And I say all that to say that's when he's going to be judging. He's going to be ruling with a rod of iron. We are going to be there, and we're in glorified bodies. And we are going to be there, and there's going to be lost people. Think about that. Think about that. All the, all the, all the uh, people that were that that hadn't come that that haven't come to Christ, uh, when Satan is let out of the bottomless pit, it says he goes out and deceives the nation, and he's able to put together another army of people to do battle against the Lord, a second battle. And he says that that army of people numbers as the sand of the sea. So there are a lot of lost people during the millennial reign of Christ. Of course, uh, the Lord destroys them. And it's at that point that he takes Satan and tosses Satan into the lake of fire. This is interesting wording. Where the 
beast and the false prophet already are. They got tossed in when he came back. So, you know, I, I just give you a little, it's a little synopsis of prophetic things, okay? Prophetic things coming up. So during this time in his ministry, this is the third year of Jesus' ministry on the earth. He isn't here to judge. He's here to save. He, he's not here to, to condemn. He's here to bless. He's here to, let's, you know, get saved, get right. That's what our ministry is all about, by the way. This ministry is all about reconciliation. Reconciling a lost soul to the Savior. That's what our ministry is. That's why gate ministry is so important. And, uh, and I can't say enough about that. But picking up now, John 8, 16. And Jesus said, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. So in other words, if the Lord were to judge, his judgment would be righteous and true. Even if, he, even if he chose to do it at this particular time. He's God and everything he does with the Father is, is in conjunction with the Heavenly Father that sent him. And many times the Lord Jesus Christ emphasized to the Pharisees that my Father and I are one. Okay? Just like your soul and your spirit and your body are all one person. You got that? But they're three distinct things. They're three very distinct things. I've done, sadly, this is not a, this is not a, a necessarily something that, I, that I'm thrilled about, but I've done quite a few funerals. And I, I've seen some, I've seen some, uh, Bodies that were, you know, prepared very nicely. Very nicely. But I've never seen a body that didn't look dead. I mean, no matter how well they comb their hair and they got the makeup and everything just right. Now listen, I'm not trying to frighten anybody. Now by the way, that's no reason to go out and burn yourself up. I'm going to be preaching on that here pretty quick because, and, and I, was, I was just thinking about this just uh, yesterday. I've, I've had a, a funeral director from Alabama, a born-again Christian, and he read, my, he read my article, which actually was a sermon. He read my article on, is, crema is cremation Christian? That's on our church website. Anybody can go and see it. And he contacted me. And he told me some alarming things about cremation. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to preach that message. And I'm going to, and I asked him, I said, do I have your permission to, to share these things that you have shared with me? Because he's on the inside of this thing. And uh, being a funeral director, he's right in the midst. And the stuff that he told me horrified me. And, uh, and he 
is a staunch believer that everybody, every Christian, should have a casket funeral. And we've talked about that. Well, a lot of people are faced with those expenses. There's, there's some answers there, too. Okay, there's some answers there, too. But in the Bible, can I just leave you with this real quick? Because um, I got off on this rabbit trail, and I want to get back on point. Um, I just, I just want to tell you that, that if Jesus had been cremated, we wouldn't have Easter. We wouldn't have an empty tomb. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have had the blessing of God Almighty on the on the uh, Calvary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, Christianity ceases to exist. It's a dead religion. That's what cremation would have been had it been the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 tells us all that our bodies are not our own. We were bought with a price. And we don't have any business burning up God's body. Now, hold your questions till after I preach it, okay? And, uh, and quite possibly when I'm done, I'll have some answers for you as well. So let me let me get back on point that that he the Lord Jesus emphasized that 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 he and his father were one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God operating in three separate fashions to accomplish the will of God. And that's that's how you look at it, the Trinity of God. And so when he said that, of course, this stirred up the antagonism and the hatred. The hatred so bad that these religious people, they wanted to murder the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God the Father's plan and the Lord Jesus' plan was to go to Calvary. He left heaven's glory to die for man's sin. No question about that. But nonetheless, they are not held they're, they are not without being held responsible for what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. How would you like to be one of those Roman soldiers who scourged the Lord, who spit on the Lord, who hit the Lord, who, uh, who mocked the Lord? Man. Imagine the judgment that's waiting. They're just in hell waiting right now. They're in hell. They haven't been judged yet. They haven't been judged yet. The second resurrection. They'll stand before the great white throne. Every, every word they ever spoke, every deed they ever did, is going to be played back for them. They're going to see it. Romans one twenty says... They'll be without excuse. The angels of the Lord will take them to the edge of the abyss and throw them into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is called the second death. 
That's the final resting. That's the final, not resting place. That's the final place of punishment after judgment. He's trying to get that through to the Pharisees. They're the religious uh, people of his day. But just like, I'm sorry to say this, but listen, the big muckety-muck religious crowd of our day doesn't get it. I'm telling you the truth. I've listened to enough of the radio and I've watched enough of the TV to know, now, is everybody wrong? No. But man, you've got to be very discerning to go in and understand what doctrine they're dealing with. Because, listen, there's a big resurgence in Reformed theology. And if you aren't really on top of what it is that you're listening to, you might be listening to somebody who's taking you down the primrose path of false doctrine. And you didn't even know it. And I could mention some names tonight. John Mac- I will mention John MacArthur. John MacArthur is a full-blown five-point Calvinist. Now, when you listen to him teach... And you look at the prestige, John Piper. John Piper's a hyper-Calvinist. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. That's the doctrine they hold to. Does that mean they're the boogeyman from hell? No. Does that mean they're lost? No. It just means that their doctrine of soteriology is wrong. In case you're wondering, that is the doctrine of salvation. That particular doctrine, they're wrong. They're wrong. Now I could stand up here the rest of the evening and I could tell you name after name after name after name after name. And I'm sorry, it's a popular thing today. And a lot of people are getting sucked into it. And uh, so... Anyway, be careful. Let's look at John 8, verse 17. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is sure. Uh, Verse 18, I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. So, as I mentioned, he he has acknowledged the testimony of two, which was required by Moses' law. It was not difficult for him to produce them because the witness of himself obviously speaks for himself. He's sinless. He's sinless son of God. Secondly, the father, uh, God the father, bore witness of his son that he sent. But these Jewish leaders, they were unwilling to, to believe this. Now, honestly, you know, you say, well, man, they, they should have. Why, why were they so bullheaded about it? Why, uh, why are so many Christians... Uh, convinced cremation is the right thing to do. When the Bible says that the heathens burned their bodies, not Christians. No, no, no Christian, no Christian of any standing in the Bible was ever cremated. As a matter of fact, for 400 years, 
Somebody was in charge of Joseph's bones because he made them promise, do not leave me in Egypt. And they were, they, it was 400 years before they came out. Guess what? For 400 years, somebody was in charge of old Joe's bones. Old Joe's bones were in a box. He said, well, why in the world didn't they just burn them up? Because that's not how Christians do it. And so they carried old Joe's bones. They carried his skeleton in a coffin for 400 years. Think about that. Think about that. And when they finally came in the promised land, they buried old Joe's bones. Okay, well, good night. I'm getting off on... Did you guys see those rabbits go past here? <laughs> Are you learning anything? <laughs> In between John chapter 8 and four more messages that I preach. So, they didn't believe the Lord Jesus. They didn't believe, of course, who he was. They didn't believe that he was one with the Father. Verse 19, he says, Then said they unto him, Where is thy Father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. And this is something that we'll see once we get to John chapter 14 again. He, he makes that clarification. But the Pharisees' next question was doubtless spoken in anger. You know, where's your father? I mean, they're, they're wanting to catch him in blasphemy. And so he answers them, but they don't recognize it. He's just, see, they're stuck on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mary's his mother, we know his brothers, we know his sisters, and he came out of Nazareth, and Christ isn't coming out of Nazareth. Christ comes out of Bethlehem. They should have done a little bit. They should have gone on Ancestry.com. And they would have found out that, that, you know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That would have settled the question for them. But, uh, no, they, they came up short and they didn't believe him. If they had received the Lord Jesus, they would have known God the Father. They would have known God the Father. But no one can know God the Father except through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The rejection of the Savior made it possible, or made it impossible, I should say, for them to honestly claim that they knew and loved God. And this is, this is where the, the polling question that sometimes gets asked of a population of people, do you believe in God? And most people will say, yeah, I believe in God. I mean... Very few people would ever acknowledge that they didn't believe in God. There's, a, there's some, but I mean, you're probably not going to run into them. Well, the devil does too, James 2.19. You believe in one God, thou doest well. The devil also believes and trembles. The devil is not an atheist. Demons are not atheists. They believe in God. They've seen God. They, they, listen, they know Jesus is God in the flesh. But 
people that claim that they that they love God. I don't love God. Really? Explain to me how that is. How, how is that, that that you love God? Because Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, will say, I love God. But wait a minute. How can you love the Father and throw away the Son? Wait a second. Wait a second. Jesus said that he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus said that he is God in the flesh. He is, he is God incarnate. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, virtually every cult will deny that. And with the same mouth, they'll say, I love God. That's impossible. That's absolutely impossible. You cannot love God and despise the Son, reject the Son. You can't do it. You can't do it. That's, that's why they're on the wrong side of this. <clears throat> and so John chapter 8, verse 20, these words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. And so the Lord was under divine protection. This is, this is not the first time we've come across this in our study. And it seems like every time they get riled up, boy, they want to have somebody just grab him. Let's, let's get him once and for all. But his, his hour had not come. His hour was coming. But his hour had not yet come, and so he was under divine protection. There was no way uh, that they were going to take him and arrest him uh, until his ministry was finished. And so I don't know what that looked like, but I would have loved to have seen how that divine protection uh, came about because he was within multitudes of people. And they just, they just couldn't take him. And so uh, he's still in his earthly ministry, the third year of it, and uh, it would go on still for a little while. Beginning in verse 21, we have this big debate that now... Uh, takes place in John 8 21 then said Jesus again unto them I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins whither I go you cannot come now I unpack that that they have committed the unpardonable sin but I could be wrong there but Jesus is pretty dogmatic at this point and he's telling them because of all their hatred and vitriol and everything that they're trying to do up to this point, he said, ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. So it might very well be that they had crossed over, that they had actually blasphemed the Holy Spirit of God. That is the unpardonable sin. That is, that is a sin. By the way, the unpardonable, blaspheming, blaspheming the Holy Spirit of God, let me tell you how that works. The Holy Spirit of God's job, his ministry job, is to convict of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. So in the lost person, he convicts them of sin and of judgment and, of, and righteousness and judgment to come. You need to get saved. Here's who you need to trust. And if you don't, here's the judgment that comes. 
if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God, what you have done is, in essence, you have rejected Jesus Christ for the last time. There is no, there is no substitute for that sin. That's the only sin that is unforgivable. It's called the unpardonable sin. Um, and so, I don't know that verse 21 is indeed that, but it sure sounds like it to me. And, uh, but I won't be dogmatic about that. But again, Jesus showed perfect knowledge of the future. He told them, he said, I'm going away. And, and that, of course, was referring not only to his death and his burial, but also to his resurrection and his ascension. So even before Gethsemane, even before he sweat great drops of blood, you know, even before the betrayal of Judas, even before any of that, before the mock trials all through the night, six or seven different trials that Jesus went through, even before all that, the Lord was telling them, Prophetically, this is what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to go my way, and you shall seek me, and you shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. And so the Jewish people, they would continue to seek the Messiah. They're still, they're still doing that to this day, 20 and 19. They're still waiting for Messiah to come. You see, when Messiah comes, he's going to come. He's going to be the conquering Messiah. He's going to deliver present-day Israel from all of their enemies. He's going to wipe them all out. Wait a minute. You missed it. No, first, first he has to come as a Savior. Because people need to be saved before they die. When he comes again, now he's going to come as a sword-wielding tank. And no more mercy. Mercy's over with. Right now is mercy. Right now is mercy. And so <clears throat> they didn't realize that, that he who was standing right before them was the Messiah. And because of their rejection, they would die in their sins. Just that simple. And those who refuse to accept the Lord Jesus have no hope of heaven. Each and every service. I mean, if there's a lost, listen to me, dear friend, if you're lost here tonight, I love you. I want you to come to Christ. He is the Savior. He loves you. That's the reason why he died on the cross. And he died on the cross for me. And he died on the cross for you. And, and he took all of that for me and for you. And if you're not sure you're saved tonight, if you're not sure that you have secured a home in heaven, I mean Bible sure, then let's make tonight Bible sure. Let's make tonight Bible sure because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. And so people who walk after one that please understand if you're here tonight and you say well you're talking to Christians pastor well listen I love you all but I, I can't see your heart I can't see your heart listen Betty listen Betty uh, 
Betty had me convinced she was a Christian for six years until I came home from church for lunch and found my wife sobbing, asking what's wrong, and she said, she did not say, let me tell you what she did not say. She did not say, I don't think I'm saved. She said, I'm not saved. And man, you could have fooled me. As a matter of fact, you did. So you see, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just saying, don't let your pride get in the way of an eternal decision. Because eternity never ends. Okay? So, how horrible it has to be to, to die in your sins without Christ. Without hope. With, with, without, without relief. John 8, 22. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whither I go, you cannot come. That's, that was their first thought. Oh, is he going to commit suicide? The Jews didn't understand that he talked about, he was talking about where, where I'm going, you cannot come. He's talking about, I'm going back to heaven. And you can't come. Because you've rejected me. And therefore, you've rejected my father. They thought go my way meant that he would escape from them by committing suicide. They were, boy, they, they really had a lofty, uh, you know, a, a lofty thinking of themselves, didn't they? They didn't realize that the Son of God, you, you think about John chapter 1 that we've already gone through, and without him, was not anything made that was made. Speaking of Jesus. And he was hanging on the cross. Thank God he didn't do this. Thank you, Lord. When he's hanging on the cross, he could have said, he could have said, be gone. Just speaking those words, he could have wiped out the entire earth and universe and all of it right there. Be gone. And these guys think that Jesus is trying to escape from them. From them. Yeah, these, these big shots. Those who, those who refuse to accept the Lord, they, uh, they have a high, they have a high, uh, what am I looking for? What word am I looking for? They have a high opinion of themselves. You know, you, you've talked to some of them, haven't you? Well, yes, I, I know I'm going to heaven. I've, because I, I've always loved God, and I've always been a Christian. And uh, my, my parents were Christian, and I was raised in a Christian home. Um, and I've always believed. Well, wait a minute. Either you're telling the truth, and the Bible's lying to me, or the Bible tells me the truth, and you're all mixed up because 
who have borne our sins. And a sinner who needed to get saved. That's, that's all there is to it. The babies in the nursery, they're protected right now. But one of these days, they're going to have an understanding of right and wrong. And as quick as they have an understanding of right and wrong, they're probably going to choose wrong. Why? Because they are naturally born sinners. And as quick as they come to an age of accountability where they know right from wrong, they need to get saved. They need to get saved pronto. Because now they'll be accountable for their soul. So, uh, the Jews didn't understand any of this. And so uh, they thought he was going to commit suicide to get away from them. Verse 23, and he said unto them, you're from beneath. I am from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. And so the Lord told them that they were from beneath, which, which meant you're human. You're, you're, you're all human. He was 100% man at the same time that he was 100% God. And they couldn't rise above these literal things. Uh, they had no spiritual understanding. That 2 Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, let me, let me read it to you. And this, boy, a lot of people, and maybe even, it may be even people that you know, they fall into this, and you wonder, well, why is it that people just can't get this? It seems so simple. And uh, if a drug addict in Great Falls 42 years ago could get it, you'd think, you'd think anybody with a brain could get it, don't you? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, 1, 2 This verse I've used many times in talking to people uh, because they, they'll say, well, man, I just don't understand that. Well, here's the reason why. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural man, that's the natural born person. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto them. Anybody here? Anybody here? Uh, can you can you think back? You know when you got saved and things changed for you and your life changed and and you know your your not only I mean a lot of things in your life changed. Your friends changed. Everything's kind of changed. Anybody here ever experienced some of the old friends saying, "What are you doing?" going to church all the time. Anybody ever have that experience? And, okay, a few of you. Um, man, Betty and I had that. Maybe <laughs> We had a lot of friends and all of them lost. <laughs> the only one that was saved was Mark Ellis and his wife. And we didn't even know the Dion's then. And so, and so but people look at your saved life and I you know, they go, you know, they go to church 
They go to church first thing in the morning on Sunday. You know? And, 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 and you know what? They go to church. They come home, and then they go to church again on Sunday. Don't they watch football? And, and then, you know what happened tonight? You know, and they know you're going to church because you're walking out and you got your Bible. They're going to church. They're going to church on Wednesday or Thursday, however it is, however it is, you know, where you came from. It's Thursday for us now. And they're going to go to church on Thursday. The Broncos are playing tonight. Big Bronco fans. Yeah. 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 <laughs> going to church. Yeah. Look at that. Those are fanatics, Richard. That your neighbors, they watch you and go, you know, whatever they got is going to get on me. <laughs> you know, that's how my that's how my friends were. That's how Betty's friends were. That's how, that's how her family was. By the way, you met my two sisters, my oldest sisters in heaven. My two youngest sisters, uh, younger sisters, I'm the baby of the family. They said, they, they told me this last time, we were talking about our salvation experience, said, well, Gary, we got saved because we were talking to you. Well, no, you got saved because you were talking to Jesus. You know, but I witnessed to them. And when I first witnessed to them, they thought I was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And everybody that you do talk to for the first time, they go, I mean, very seldom do you get somebody who is so in the world that you can come into them and, and talk to them, and right away they get saved. It, doesn't, it happened that way with me. But I found out over the years, 99% of people didn't get saved the first time they heard the gospel. How many got saved the very first time you ever heard that Jesus died for you? How many of you got saved that service? Donna Ray? Someone else? Brother Chris? And myself? And later, talked to Pastor Elledge about it, and he said, I got saved the very first time I ever heard the gospel. That doesn't happen very often. So when you're witnessing to your friends and family, don't get discouraged the first time you witness to them, and they kind of shuffle you off to Buffalo. Don't, don't get discouraged about that. Pray for them. Pray for another opportunity to witness to them, and then witness to them again. Because most people, probably most of you tonight, you don't even know probably how many times you heard the gospel before you got saved. Quite possibly. But it was definitely it was more than once. And so, when you're witnessing, by the way, when you're going out on gate ministry, understand that people you get a chance to talk to, you're sowing seed, or your watering seed. And then 
We've seen fruit. We've, we've seen people get saved. Brent here. Brother Randy knocked on Brent's door. Right? Am I right, Randy? Was it you and Stephen? Knocked on Brent's door. Gave Brent a, a track. Did they give you a track, Brent? And then they, they, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, they, they didn't talk to you at that time, at that moment. They went down the street. Guess who went down the street after them? Did Brent tra- chase you down? Brent got saved. Well, that wasn't the first time you heard the gospel, though, was it? So somebody planted, and you watered, and guess what? God gave the increase. Sometimes we get to be part of the increase. That's always a blessing. That's always a blessing. I don't know if you're learning more out of John 8 or more out of rabbit trails. But, uh, but you know, understand the natural man just doesn't get it. It's foolishness to them. Your, your unsaved friends think it's foolishness to spend as much time in church as you do. Verse 24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So Jesus solemnly warned them. You got the Savior that's telling and telling us in verse 24. He's speaking to us. So they refused, which they, they did. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and Nicodemus got saved. He got saved. Because in, in I can't remember which gospel account it is, but, but he's with, he's helping Joseph of Arimathea take the body to the tomb. And so uh, a Pharisee did turn to Christ. But if, if well, most of them refused, and if they refused, then there was no, listen, there is no salvation plan B. So it's just plan A. And the word he is italicized. Now, understand that when the translators of the King James, they respected, they respected the verbal translation of the Greek and Hebrew so much I mean, they had deep, deep respect for it that whenever they added a word and they'd only add it just for, for readability, just, just for us to be able to read it in a complete sentence in the English language. Because the English language, believe me, is so deficit to, to, what, um, to what the Koine Greek or the Masoretic Hebrew was. And so they would add words. So you look in your Bible, and you see that there's an italicized, uh, in verse 24, you'll see at the end, I am, there should be an italicized, he. So in the original, that he was not there. But the translators so respected the word-for-word the word translation of the original Bible languages 
but wherever they had to add something for readability, they would italicize that so people would immediately know we did not change the word of God. That's why the King James is so beautiful. It really is. So that he, if, if it wasn't there, it would read literally, if you believe not that I am. Well, what does I am mean? Somebody tell me. If you don't believe that I am. I am was the name for God in the Old Testament. So we see in the, in the words, I am was not an Old Testament, what was an Old Testament name for God, and Jesus was declaring God, that I am. And he was answered that I am he. In other words, I am God. Verse 25. This is going to have to, I'm going to have to end here tonight. Verse 25. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. So these, these, these Jewish rebels really were completely perplexed. They, they, they asked him pointedly, who are you? Now, maybe this is sarcasm. Maybe it's like somebody who comes up to somebody and says, who do you think you are? You know? Who, who do you think you are that you, can, that you can just pop on the scene and talk to us like that? Don't you understand that I got more degrees than a thermometer? You know? And, and I don't think it was because they were anxious to know. I don't think they were saying, Jamie, I don't think they were saying, who are you? Because they really wanted to know who he was. But his answer is worthy of note. Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. And so he was the promised Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah. He didn't come in the clothing and the attitude that they wanted their Messiah to come. So they rejected him. They were stubborn. He was living right in front of them. And they rejected him. Now let me give you a good, let me give you something you really can feel good about tonight when you go. We're going to come to it in John 8, or John 21. We're going we're gonna to come to it. But it's a statement that Jesus made to Thomas. What's Thomas's What's Thomas's prefix name? <laughs> Doubting Thomas. He's up in heaven right now, and he's hanging his head down. You don't want to be known as Doubting Thomas, do you? So, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 20. Thomas wasn't there the first Sunday after the resurrection. He wasn't there. He skipped church. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Okay? Because the rest of them were all together. And they'd been doing that for a while. So that wasn't like it was a strange thing. But all of a sudden, Jesus is, you know, kind of so crucified, buried, blah, blah, blah. And the first Sunday... First Lord's Day, they're all meeting together except for Thomas. Thomas went to the football game. 
Thomas went fishing. Thomas said, you know, I'm close to God in the mountains. Whatever the, whatever the thing is, okay? And, uh, and the, next, the next time he talks to the disciples, the disciples are all excited. We saw Jesus. We talked to him. We felt him. We, I mean, oh, it was just so beautiful, Thomas. You missed it, and we got it, and you missed it. And I bet they were just kind of even rubbing it in. Where are you at, backslider? And, of course, Thomas, Thomas, you know, he, he declares, you know, <clears throat> you know, uh, he said, except I shall see, verse 25, in his hands the prints of the nails and put my finger into the prints of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so eight days later, it's Sunday again. Okay? The doors are closed. And uh, all of a sudden, from behind them, somebody says, somebody says, Jesus says, peace be unto you. I'm in John 20 now. I'm way ahead of everybody. But verse 27, he says to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it, thrust it into my side. And be not faithless but believing. Thomas didn't do any of that. In verse 28, the posture of Thomas changes. Now he's flat on his face before the Lord Jesus Christ saying, this is my picture anyway, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. That always gives me goosebumps. Verse 29, Jesus said something to him, and this is a blessing for every Christian in this room. Hang your hat here. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Guess who that is? That's you. That's me. We've never seen the Savior, but we know he's there. He lives in our heart. He's changed our lives. He's changed the way we think. He changed the way we act. When you were a lost man, you'd be at the Bronco game. Now you don't even care to be at the Bronco game. Now that's a simple thing. But some people in this room, you were boozers. Some of you were drug addicts and boozers. And I don't know the history on everybody here, but, but there's enough garbage in everybody's life to have a real testimony of change. Here's what Jesus Christ did. And you're going to get an opportunity next month where we do our Thanksgiving testimony. Thanking God for what? You'll get an opportunity to say, for changing my life. For taking me from here, from there, and putting me where I am. You're going to get an opportunity to share your testimony. Think about it. Thank you.
you saved tonight. Lori, why don't you come up on the platform, would you? Let's have a little invitation. I haven't given one for a few weeks on Thursday, so let's all stand together. Let's bow our heads together and close our eyes. Our heads are bowed and our eyes.